Well, good morning. If you have your Bible with you, as always, I hope you do. Let's open up to Psalm 8. And uh, this is uh, one of the Psalms of David. Uh, and throughout the book of Psalms, uh, David wrote the majority of them. <clears throat> and the Psalms really do hold a special place in many people's hearts. It's uh, likely the most widely read uh, and most familiar book to many. Um, and it's understandable why it would be. Uh, the, the Psalms really speak to the heart uh, like, like very few things do. Uh, David and those others who write the Psalms um, speak from a, a level of genuine experience uh, in ways that are immediately accessible to us. We, um, you know, we see David responding to the joys and the glories of worshiping the Lord or seeing him, seeing the Lord come through for him in ways that just absolutely make David respond in worship. And we see other times when, uh, when he or other writers experience difficulties, trials, challenges, uh, um, incredible fear in that and turning to the Lord for, uh, and writing of, of, of their experience in crying out to him and, and, and describing the things they experienced and how God met them in that place. Uh, it's a richly uh, rewarding experience to read through the Psalms and should be part of our regular reading uh, because, again, it so, so much speaks to the heart. Well, this passage here in David's uh, writing, uh, the Psalm of David in ver chapter 8, uh, is one such place. And so why don't we dive into that and look at it. Psalm 8 reads this way. <clears throat> o Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. And when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You, set him, uh, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings or in some other translations or manuscripts, it says angels or you've made him a little lower than yourself and crowned him with glory and honor. And you've given him the dominion over the works of your hands, and you've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. These glorious, worshipful bookends to the psalm. How majestic or how noble or how excellent uh, is your name. It's a word that speaks of nobility, this greatness of, of a king, and that kind of a thing is what's in view. Well, David here, and in particular verses three and four, we get this wonderful sense of where David is at as he uh, is writing these words. As he looks out in the heavens and he sees the beautiful creation that God has made, uh, he's caused to wonder how God could pay attention to people or himself or uh, um, just mankind, considering the beauty and the splendor of all else that he's created. Um, you know, the, the, the Bible does tell us that the heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19. Um, it's one of the most beautiful truths that, that can be known, is that God is, that he exists. And as we look out into creation, we see this, we see his handiwork. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 1, we find out that there are those who don't embrace it, but rather uh, very directly and, and, and intentionally seek to suppress the knowledge of his existence. Look in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And of course, you can always just listen along. I'll put the passages in the notes. Um, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world 
in the things that have been made. And so they're without, they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. And there is this uh, clear sense that even though they know that God exists because they can tell by looking at creation, whether it's the, the heavens that David speaks about in Psalm 8, or whether it's down to the most minute subatomic nanoparticle kinds of uh, 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 elements that, that make up the building blocks of all of life, a DNA or any of these things, um, you can look at these things and see the beautiful intricacy and beautiful design of these things. No matter how small you look or how big you look, you can see God's fingerprint all over it. And it's only the one who, in Psalm 14, says this, the fool is said in his heart, There's no, or, uh, there is no God, or literally, the fool is said in his heart, no God. Uh, in other words, from the core of his being, he has decided he will not believe. It's very rarely a matter of the intellect. It's so much more often a matter of the will. God has made uh, such abundant evidence of his being. We call that general revelation, by the way, the idea that creation speaks of the handiwork of God and the, beautiful, the beauty of his creation and such. Um, specific or, 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 um, or um, uh, the other kind of revelation, the word just flipped from my mind, but the, uh, the other revelation we speak of is God's specific divine revelation where he actually has given us his word. And so the heavens declare, the earth and the creation declare his existence. But even beyond that, we find out that he's actually spoken to man. Uh, Psalm 19, which I mentioned a second ago, let's look at that for one moment here. In Psalm 19, notice what David again writes. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and the, their words to the end of the world. In other words, he goes on to describe a little bit about that. But in other words, the creation speaks of God's existence, and of his handiwork, and of his creativity in that. But not just that. David continues a few verses later and then says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean or pure, enduring forever. The rules or the, uh, the just decrees of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. And so we see in the same Psalm, Psalm 19, we're going to go back to Psalm 8, but in Psalm 19, David speaks again to this idea of the creation, revealing God's being and his creativity and his awesome splendor and his nobility. But he doesn't just give us that to look at. He's also very intentionally spoken to mankind as well. So he has spoken to us in terms of his general revelation, but also specifically in talking to mankind. And as one great, uh, I don't know if he's great or not, I guess, but one Puritan preacher had uh, once said, uh, you know, there are two things I want to know. Does God speak? And if so, what does God say? Well, he's given us his word. He's let us know that he's there, but he's also told us what he's about and even what he requires 
of man. And there often becomes the rub. The fact that God requires something of man is something that man has always rebelled against. However, David doesn't rebel against this, but rather he embraces it. And so the heavens declare the glory of God. And David here says, when I look out into those heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you've made and set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? The fact that God is mindful of us is kind of a staggering thought. You know, when we look at the creation, uh, specifically when we look at when God created the world and everything in it, uh, the crescendo of his creation, the crowning work of his hands in creating uh, all of creation turns out to be us. Uh, He made us in his image, the Bible tells us back in the beginning passages of Genesis. He made us in his image and in his likeness, and we become image bearers of our creator. And that's a special relationship that God has with mankind in that capacity. All of creation uh, bears witness to him. All of creation sings his praise. The trees clap their hands, essentially. The creation itself makes music to his glory in that. But there is something specific and special about mankind that sets them apart, and that is by God's own design. The redemptive plan that God unfolds literally from the moment of the fall, the redemptive plan of his uh, is made known and begins to unfold. That redemptive plan, in one sense, will result in a new heavens and a new earth. But at the center of all of that are us who he's created, and ultimately, us who believe and have put our trust in him and have, have, have surrendered ourselves to him. Those who are the king's subjects, those who are the father's children, we are those who are going to be able to participate in the beauty of all of those things when they reach their culmination. There is something beautiful about the relationship that mankind, man and women, obviously mankind, has with his, with, with her creator, with his creator in that. And we see the ultimate center of that revolving around this idea of God's love for us. I mentioned the redemptive plan. Well, that redemptive plan ultimately leads to a cross on a hill outside of Jerusalem where the very Son of God came into the world demonstrating God's love for us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ would die for us, ungodly as we are. That's what God expresses through his creation. He lets us know he's there and he leads us to the place where we come to understand that he is and then he speaks through his word that we might understand about who he is as he defines himself and makes himself known in that revelation. And so one thing we want to understand on the one hand is that we have this intrinsic value to God because he's made us in his image. Yet David acknowledges that God pays attention to man, man, but at the same time, He's at, at wonder about this. He's not arrogant about it. He doesn't stop and say, oh, I'm, I'm worthy of all this attention. No, he's actually somewhat dumbfounded by it. There's a level of humility in recognizing that though God created us and values us, that such a thing could be true. Uh, some years ago, uh, a very popular um, uh, teacher whatever you want to call him. I, I, I hesitate to say teacher because many of the things he said were really, really uh, pretty aberrant. But, uh, and this is one of them. He actually spoke of our value to God as uh, being measured by what you're willing to pay for something. And so he, uh, he sort of likened the cross to validating our sense of self-worth. And uh, I think he even said, you know, the cross sanctifies the ego trip. In other words, you should feel special about yourself because after all, look what God was willing to pay for you. That's a really 
kind of contorted view of how we should respond to God's beautiful grace and his condescending to love his creation in the way he does. Um, yes, we are valuable to him, but that value is not something that we have intrinsically outside of what he's given us. That intrinsic value is both a gift and a privilege given to us by God. And we, like David, when we recognize the grandeur and beautiful splendor of all that God is capable of and what he's demonstrated in his creation, we, like David, should approach that with a genuine sense of humility. God, how could you even know I'm here when I think about this? You know, I'm, uh, uh, I just realized as I'm talking about this, I've got one of my geek shirts on. And uh, I've always loved astronomy and outer space and those kinds of things. And um, while on the one hand, uh, it's people always debate, is there life outside of, of the earth and the universe? I don't personally think there is for various reasons, some theological, some scientific. But, um, but the fact that the universe is as enormous as it is, uh, that we measure it in things like light years, and that kind of a thing that when you consider the vast amount of space, it is kind of an amazing thing. And David, of course, didn't know how far space went, but it is kind of an amazing thing to think about when how enormous the universe is, that this little speck of dust floating around this little galaxy in this gigantic universe, uh, that God would set his gaze upon us is truly a humbling thing. And it's a beautiful thing to consider, and it should evoke Worship. It should bring out of us that sense of awe and wonder that God would choose to interact with us in this world like he does. That he would have a purpose and a plan that one day would unfold in our spending eternity with him. That in a world of such beauty, that people with such corrupt hearts like ours, God would continue to unfold and, and make known himself and ultimately to express his love in the greatest of all possible ways by, by, by as it were, entering into our own world and while we're in rebellion against him, coming and paying for our sins. Um, the response to that should be one of genuine thankfulness and adoration, of awe and wonder, of falling on our faces and saying, who am I that you would be mindful of me at all? O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic, how noble, how great is your name in all the earth. Something to think about as you read through Psalms like this and as you read through the scriptures. May God help us to delve deeply into such things that we might respond in worship. Father, we thank you for giving us such truths and help us to recognize the beautiful invitation to see you in your glory and splendor both now in this world, as we look at the creation you've made, as we think about the relationship you've invited us to enjoy, and then later one day when we go up into eternity, uh, when, Lord, all of those who have simply put their trust in the one you sent to pay for our sins will one day enjoy the rich and eternal benefits that come by, by, uh, by way of that, something we've never done anything to earn, something we don't deserve by any stretch of the imagination, but nonetheless that you have given to us. Help us, Father, like David, to simply throw up our hands and say, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We love you and thank you and praise you. Help us to walk with such a sense of awe and wonder day after day after day until one day we see you face to face and then you just blow our minds completely. Thank you, Father. We love you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>